All right, welcome everyone. So this is a very powerful day as it's Yom Zikaron Shoah Gvura, which translates as Holocaust Remembrance Day for the Holocaust and strength. And when I think about Yom HaShoah, when I think about the Holocaust, but not only the Holocaust, about individuals who are able to show strength during the Holocaust, obviously the first person, or not the first person, but one of the first people that comes to mind is the Piazzatzer Rebbe. We know that the Piazzatzer Rebbe fought back against the Nazi enslavement, against the movement of trying to restrict Jewish life, of placing Jews into the ghetto. Rabbi Thomas Kalman Shapiro, at a very young age, the Piazzatzer Rebbe, was actually elected the lead rabbi of the Warsaw Ghetto, and he continued in private to give over words of Torah, teachings of inspiration, of faith that very much reflected his own feelings. And the reason why I'm very connected to the Sefer, and it's very um, apropos given what today is, is because the Rebbe really doesn't shy away from what he's feeling. And we have a rare insight into realizing that these are human beings. A lot of times when we encounter Sfarim, it's very hard for us to relate that these are real human beings that are going through things. They're not on some other otherworldly level. Although they are, they're also humans. And the Pizan Sarebi does an amazing job of really showing his coping mechanisms. The way that his faith is able to mend based on the situation is his relationship with God changes in amidst trauma. But again, he, we're here to highlight how the Pizan Sarebi, despite whatever circumstance he was in, he was able to fight back against the situation. He was able to say that a slave is someone who can't transcend their circumstances, but I can transcend my circumstances. And I'm going to continue to teach Torah and to fight and to be able to express who I really am, even though the opposite is demanded of me right now. So this is a really, really, really powerful Torah that I saw today. I was really blown away. Um, it's on the screen over here. If you Can anyone see it? Can you guys see it? Just maybe give me a thumbs up or whatever. Okay, cool. So this is Parsha's Mitzorah. This week's Parsha is Parsha Tazriya Mitzorah. And I think that this week's Parsha is very relevant to what's going on. They say about the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe said, the first Rebbe of Chabad, that he would always tell his students to try to read this week's Parsha and see the Parsha unfolding in real time. And they would say about the Alter Rebbe, he was able to make tremendous comparisons between world events and between what was happening in the Parsha. And we know that this week's Parsha of Parsha's Mitzorah, we're taught about the punishment of someone who has tzarat, of someone who's deemed a leper. And that individual is required to quarantine outside of the city. They're required to go into isolation. They're not meant to be with anyone else. And I think that what's unfolding with Corona is a very similar theme in terms of people having to uproot their communities, leave their communal structure, their houses, their normal life behind and go away and be sent away, not because of some physical thing, but because of an affliction nonetheless that manifests in physicality. And I think that's extremely relevant to what's happening right now. And it's even more relevant that we're hearing the perspective of a Parsha that deals with quarantine from a Rebbe who himself was dealing with tremendous hardship and struggle and confinement, just like we are. The Piazzatzer Rebbe is writing this in the year 1940 in the Warsaw Ghetto after the situation is very bleak. Now, thank God for some of us, the situation isn't like the Rebbe in the Warsaw Ghetto, but the facts on the ground is in the ghetto, people were dying and because of Corona, people are dying. And it's God forbid to equate the two, but nonetheless, they're both extremely challenging circumstances. And there are people out there with Corona who this is a tremendous devastation. It's wrecked economic havoc. It's wrecked spiritual havoc. It's actually taken life. So I think the insight that we can gain from the Rebbe is gonna be even more powerful and relevant to us because of the likelihood of situations that we find ourselves in. So the Rebbe starts and he says, he quotes a Pasuk in this week's Parsha, Parsha Metzorah. And he says, <laughs> When 
which literally translates as when you, when I will bring you into the land of Canaan, which I have given to you as a heritage, I will give you. And Natati is, is not something that I will afflict you. It's as a gift. I will give over to you this affliction of Tzarat and it'll be on the house on that you possess. So I think that it's worth noting the stark contrast that even maybe the Rebbe meant it, maybe he didn't, but he's talking about redemption, even in the Warsaw Ghetto. He's talking about, we know that the Torah isn't something that one-off happened. He's talking about where God says, I will surely plant you in the Holy Land. I will plant you in Eretz Yisrael. And not only will you be in Eretz Yisrael, you'll be thriving there. You'll have houses. You'll have your material possessions cared for. This is at the diametrical opposite of where he is right now, not in his land, and having their material lives crushed before them. And Rashi on this Pasuk says something amazing. The Rabbi Kotzi says, Perish Rashi, Basurahi Lahem. He says, it's a good news that, 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 that God was telling them, that he's going to afflict their houses. Because, Shenagaim Ba'im Alehem, the reason that these afflictions will come on them and when they come onto the houses of the Jews in the land of Israel, And can you guys see if I follow with my cursor? Yeah? So it says that what's really happening is the 40 years that the Jewish people were in the desert, the nation, I believe it was the Amorites who were living in the houses of Eretz Yisrael before the Jewish people arrived there, they were storing gold in their walls and under their houses. And I don't know what the banking system was like in Eretz Yisrael, ancient Canaanite times, but it seems that these individuals, they thought that they could hide their gold inside of their houses, in the walls of their houses or under their houses and it would be safe. And Hashem is saying that, and because your house is going to be afflicted and you're going to have to remove the stones that are afflicted, what's going to end up happening is because of the affliction that I'm giving you, you're going to find gold buried within your houses because you're going to have to destroy your houses. You're going to have to remove different bricks. You're going to have to dig underneath the foundation and underneath what appears to your eye, you're going to find that there's been these safe houses, these storage wells, of tremendous material bounty that you never would have arrived at had I not afflicted the house, had you not destroyed it. And that's a very powerful message and the Rebbe is going to expound on it. But he's saying that there's more than meets the surface. There's more than meets the eye in terms of affliction. Perhaps affliction is forcing us to go deeper. Perhaps on the surface it looks like things are broken and they are 100%. But perhaps even deeper than that, there's a great salvation waiting. As the Gemara in Megillah says that Hashem creates the refuah before the makkah. He creates the healing before he creates the affliction. And to understand this even more conceptually, just on a practical scientific level, we know that the very thing that afflicts can also heal. We know that snake venom, when you're bit by snake poison, the antidote for a bite is found within the venom of the snake itself. The thing that's afflicting you is actually the source of healing itself. There's an idea that when Moshe Rabbeinu had the Jewish people complaining to him, and they said to Moshe, Moshe, these waters are bitter at May Mara. We can't drink from them. And it's the, the Jewish people have gone three days without water. Hashem commands Moshe, as the Medrash brings down, to sweeten the bitter waters with a bitter plant. So on the surface, this makes no sense. You would sweeten bitter waters with a sweet plant. But it's saying the thing that you think is afflicting you can actually be the very thing that's your salvation. The house that you're destroying because of Tsaras is actually the place of a treasure chest of gold. The same venom that afflicts is the venom that saves. 
And the Rebbe will expound on this. And he says from the top, to understand this phenomenon of how God is going to grant us afflictions and how there are treasures found within them. The Rebbe raises an amazing question. The Pasuk tells us that if you suspect that there is a blotch, a tzarat outbreak on your house, before you go to the Kohen Gadol and before the Kohen Gadol rules on your house, you have to leave your house. You have to quarantine for seven days. So the Rebbe says, if we know that this affliction isn't really showing you that something's impure, but rather it's to help you arrive at something that's buried within the affliction to find the gold that's stored within the walls, then why do we have to go outside of our houses before we know whether it's pure or impure? Maybe the house isn't actually impure. Maybe this actually isn't Sarat. Maybe it's not something that brings Tumah. Maybe it's just meant for us to unearth our houses to be able to see what's inside. Right, and he says, and afterwards, when we, when we take out the stones and we see that this, this affliction is just showing us what's really hidden on the inside, and why, why can't we just do that to start with? Why do we have to leave our house seven days before we do that? And this point is even more pronounced as the Ramban on the Torah teaches. He quotes in the name of his father. It's saying that this affliction of God is even more coming out of love, not for a general source of impurity and affliction, because it's not within the natural order to afflict clothing or houses. So it's showing that this isn't actually a punishment. Rather, this is just forcing the Jewish people to go deeper into the things that they own and to unearth the gold that's found that was hidden in their walls of their houses that they took over that have been stored for the last 40 years. In Cain, because it's milo midarechateva, because it's a supernatural affliction coming from a supernatural God, it has to be rak tovat Yisrael. These afflictions have to be for the good of Israel. Lagalot mitumotain, to be able to reveal that which is hidden within their houses. Ulemala tzavta Torah letamei mikodem shivat yamim. So then why does the Torah say that if this is really a good thing that doesn't necessarily bring tzarat and isn't necessarily tamei, why do you have to leave your house before you know that you're impure? Why do you have to leave your house for seven days as opposed to waiting for the Kohen and says your house is impure and then you can leave? So that's a question. Any questions so far? Are we good? Okay, cool. And we continue. And he says, And I think this is the response that I personally take to tragedy. This is one of the various methods that the Rebbe employed when responding to tragedy. The Rebbe says we can't understand Torah. Of course, we can arrive at understanding on a subjective level. Of course, we can come to a knowledge of sorts. But when it comes to absolute objective imperial knowledge, we can't know that. We know that Torah Hashem Meshivat Nefesh, God's and Torah Hashem Tamima Meshivat Nefesh, God's Torah is pure. It's, it's whole. It's complete. And, and even after we've think that we've even cracked a corner and delved into it, it's still complete. That's how untouched it is. Um, so the Rebbe says, because we can't understand Torah in its fullest sense, and that leads us in the next step of the logical equation that how much more so we can't understand God, who's the giver of the Torah in his objective sense. The Tikkun Zohar in its introduction says, that no thought can fully comprehend God. And we understand this without any philosophy. If me and you understood God fully, we would be God. 
the whole point of a supernatural deity is there's something that's above us that we can't comprehend. And the Rebbe says, so what we have to try to believe in understanding and accepting that we can't understand God fully is that even when we know and we believe that what God is doing to us, even when God is afflicting us, we really have to try to believe that it's all for the good. Now, this is so difficult because it's a two-pronged approach. It's on the one hand saying that we don't understand. And when people say, why is this going on? Why did the Holocaust happen? There's no answer. We can't understand God. God is infinite. God is absolute. Our wisdom, by definition, as limited beings are limited. But at the same time, within the recognition and born out of the recognition that we don't understand comes faith. And there's a difference between faith and understanding. Faith is recognizing that you don't believe. It's taking a leap and saying, I don't have absolute knowledge. So while I do know that I don't know, now I can choose to believe that everything is for the good. Because I know that I don't have the full picture here. And I can't possibly understand from my limited perspective how things seem like they're good. So I'm not going to try to pretend like I understand it and like it really is good. And it's not putting pressure on us, God forbid, to actually not mourn and not to experience what we're experiencing in the face of evil. What it's saying is understanding that we don't get it and hoping that through the knowledge that we're limited, that there is another possibility that this is good and it hasn't been revealed. Perhaps there is a tremendous amount of gold waiting within the very walls that we've been afflicted with. And just anecdotally on this note, I thought about this today. Rev. Aaron in talks, my Rebbe Rev. David Aaron, he's one of the foremost teachers of Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah. He talks a lot about the role of evil, talks about how the Zohar's conception of it, Rev. Cook's conception of it. And what emerges is a rationalization, a sort of presentation that attempts to understand evil's role. And that can be very problematic because when you're defining evil, you're saying that you get it to a certain sense. When someone says, why did the Holocaust happen? And you provide an answer, you're claiming to know that answer. When really this all goes way beyond us and we don't understand it. So he told a story and once he was sitting in a shir with Rav Yehuda Amital. Rav Yehuda Amital is the founder and the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Taratzion, the Gush Yeshiva, the preeminent Torah institution in Israel. And Rav Amital is a Holocaust survivor. And Rav Amital was giving a shir on evil once in the old city. And someone asked Rav Amital, he was giving a shir on evil and how evil works. Someone asked Rav Amital, how could you explain my tsaras? And this individual went on to describe the challenges that she was having, her children, financially, whatever it was. And Rav Amital broke down crying. And he said, you think I understand any of this? I'm just telling you what the sources say and what I can understand in my limited knowledge what I can understand through my intellect, but my intellect is limited. If you think I get any of this, you're crazy. And this is coming from someone who survived the Holocaust, who fundamentally recognizes that we'll never get it, and we don't get it, and we don't understand what's going on in Corona. But we can choose to do is to believe that it's for the good, because faith implies a lack of knowledge, and faith is the reaction to a lack of knowledge. And I think that's extremely powerful. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, in Torah Dalit of Lakute Maran also shares a very, very similar teaching. And he says that when someone knows that everything that's happening to them in their lives is for the good, it's Bechinat Olam Haba. That is living on a conscious plane of the world to come. And he says, When someone knows that all of the events in their lives are for good, Zot Bechinat Olam Haba. This is an aspect of the world to come. And I think what it's teaching us is that 
from a higher perspective, from God's perspective, from objective perception, maybe it is for the good. But we in our perspective can't understand it. And the Rebbe continues, And the Rebbe makes it relevant. And he says, in our lives, in the Warsaw Ghetto, what happens when God isn't just afflicting us in the normative way that he afflicts us with saras on our body? Generally, one is afflicted on their skin. But what happens if it goes beyond the individual and it starts to take hold of their material possessions as well? Their items, not just themselves. And it says that not only things that are our body, but also in the things that are being afflicted that are causing us to go far away from God because those things are being afflicted too. For example, There's no cheder for the children to learn Torah. Normally the cheder, the preschool, is the main modality of education where we come close to you, Hashem. Normally the yeshiva is where we sit and we learn your Torah. But you're afflicting things that are causing us to be farther from you. Or that's what we think on the surface. And I think that this is extremely relevant. Not only to the Rebbe then, but to us now. We're living in a time period of Corona where all of our civic institutions have been closed down. There are no more yeshivot running. There are no more batei knasot running. All of the places where we thought we're connecting to God have been closed down. And now it feels like we're distant from God. And the Rebbe continues, We can't daven as a community in the Beit Knesset. We can't go tithling in the mikvah because there is no mikvah in the Warsaw Ghetto. Actually, the Rebbe installed one underground. It's another story. When these things happen, it arises in the mind of an individual. Doubt creeps into us. How could this be for the good? Did this also God mean for the good? Was God's intention in not only afflicting us, but afflicting every single facet of our society and our community? Can we also say that was for the good? And I think that question is extremely pronounced given what we're going through right now. We're looking at an entire world system and a world economy and people's lives being shattered. How can this also be for the good? It's one thing to afflict us. It's another thing to afflict our houses, to have tzarat on the bayit, on the world. Am litova, but the Rebbe says, however, im litova. If they're good, and he says, well, maybe if we wanted them to say that it was for the good, then he should be afflicting us in a way that causes us to come closer to him. But how can we say it's for the good when they're causing us to go farther from him, to not be able to participate in our shuls and our schools and our mikvaot? But not in a way that causes us to cancel our Torah and tefillah chas v'chalila. Kim'at kola Torah. And we're not even able to study and learn Torah in the Warsaw Ghetto. All of that has been nullified. All of that has been destroyed. Va'im en zot chas v'chalila yisurim shel v'atisham Hashem me'al admatam. Isn't this the curse that we learn about the tochacha and the Sefer Devarim? And this is frightening. A lot of times when I read through the tochacha, the curses that Hashem is giving to the Jewish people, of course you think of the Holocaust. And the Rebbe's in the Holocaust, he's thinking of the curses that were once pronounced that there's going to happen. And Vatisham Hashem al matem, Hashem will take you from your land. Ba'afu b'chama, with great anger, b'ketzef, with rage gadol. Vayishlichem al eretz acheret kayomazeh. And will fling you to another nation that you don't belong to on this day. It's terrifying. The Rebbe's saying, how could you say that's for the good? It's the tochacha. How could you say that this is something that is going to be for our benefit. And I think what's beautiful, perhaps the rabbi meant this or didn't, 
is the contrast here between the first Pasuk and this Pasuk that we just read. Because with certainty, the Rebbe believes that this is occurring to him. He believes that the curses in the Torah are being fulfilled. He's living through the Tochacha, he's living through the curses. But how much more so does that mean that the brachot in the Torah will be fulfilled? How much more so the prophecy of Kitivawal Eretz Kenan Asher Ninoten Lachem La that I'll bring you to the land of Israel and you'll have as an inheritance. An achuzah means that you'll be connected to it in a firm way, not something that's fleeting, something that's real. So the Rebbe paints a picture that it's impossible to believe that things are for the good. It's impossible to believe that taking the stones out of your house, which is the punishment for Tsaras, and taking the stones outside the city with you, the thing that afflicts you, taking the affliction with you. And if that's bad, it's not only taking the stones, but it's also destroying the entire house. Do we really believe that there's going to be gold underneath? And perhaps we don't, and that's a healthy response. And perhaps intellectually we can't understand because we don't understand God. But it's our choice to be able to try to get ourselves to believe that that actually is a reality. There's a higher consciousness. There's a higher wisdom. There's a higher perspective that we can't see. And from that perspective, this actually can be for the good. But I shudder in terms of saying that it is for the good completely because I certainly don't understand it. And I'm not going to claim that I understand it. But what I will claim is that I don't see the full picture and I know that I'm limited. So it's possible that God understands it. And the Rebbe continues and he says, This is amazing. He says, but what emerges from this on the flip side is we see in the Torah that when the Kohen comes to you and he basically thinks that your house is going to be Tameh or your house has been afflicted. Hashem still does everything for the good of the Jewish people. And this is reflected in the Halacha. He says, what's really going to happen is that on the surface, you're going to think that you're afflicted. You're going to think that the affliction on your house is an affliction, which is forcing you to leave your house, which is forcing you to be in quarantine. But little did you know a new world order was forming. And when I send you back to your house, you realize it wasn't an affliction at all. Rather, I was just getting you to remove the stones and find the gold that was hidden inside. In the beginning, you're going to be leaving your house because you think you're afflicted for seven days. Afterwards, you see what was stored inside. What I think about this a lot is, I saw a cartoon, and Rev. Aaron speaks about this a lot. Imagine two kids in the womb discussing whether they think death will be painful and whether they think that there's life outside the womb. And these two individuals, presumably, when they're being taken out of the womb, they think that they're dying. Their world, their life as they experience it, is the womb. Little do they know that death is really just life. They're actually being born into a higher world order, a higher realm of existence. They're passing from one state of consciousness to another state of consciousness. And just like the two infants in the womb are discussing whether they think there's something that comes after the womb, after a place of darkness and constriction and restraint, really, if they were able to intuit a higher perspective, They would see that life is waiting for them to happen. And perhaps we can strengthen ourselves by choosing to believe, even though we don't understand how it could be with all the deaths of Corona, that we're like the children sitting in the womb. We are like the individuals who can't possibly contemplate the life after this, but are ready to be birthed into a tremendous life, a life filled with bounty and expansiveness that we can never have imagined before. And the Rebbe says, Even if someone is afflicted, even if their house is afflicted, they have to say, 
I'm not sure that my house is afflicted. Rather, near Eli Babayit, Kenega near Eli Babayit, it seems to me like there's an affliction on my house. Because what's that saying is that even though it looks like things are contaminated, even though it looks like sheer evil, I really don't know. Because at the end of the day, it could also be for the good. And the Rebbe says that, Vafilu tamid chacham negahu. Even if it's a Talmud Chacham who knows the ins and outs of Hilchos Negaim and he sees or she sees on his or her house that it actually is a Nega, they're still required before going to the Kohen and confirming whether it's impurity, whether it's Tumah, they have to say, it seems to me like an affliction, like an impurity has stricken my house. Because what that's teaching us is we don't actually know what's an affliction and what's a birth. What is a, a disaster and what's an opportunity to unearth something much deeper? What is actually a tremendous treasure chest that's waiting to be unfolded? And, and the Rebbe says, Because us with our limited knowledge can't say for sure whether this actually is an affliction. Or something that looks, according to our eyes, like an affliction. When in truth, this actually is for the good of the Jewish people. And they can't say for certainty that's an affliction. Because what seems like an affliction can actually be a great liberation and a great salvation. And the Rebbe says that even their afflictions at that time were tovat Yisrael, asher yatev Hashem ba'mo, which is the way of God to give good to his people. And I think what the Rebbe is saying can be attacked. And we can say, how could you be saying that what was happening to him in the 1940s was good? Didn't he see the amount of people that were dying? Didn't he see that in the years to follow, he himself would be killed? Communities would be destroyed? But the Rebbe, what, what, what he classifies and what he stipulates before saying that be'emet tovah Yisrael is that he doesn't claim to know. He doesn't claim to be God. He explicitly says, We can't possibly understand. And born out of that knowledge that we can't understand is the ability to interpret a lack of understanding with faith. And to be able to say, I know that what I'm looking at is not the full picture because I don't get it. So because if I understood the full picture and what I was looking at was the full picture, this would surely be for the bad. But I know that this image that I'm looking at that's evil isn't the full picture because I know that I don't understand everything because I'm limited. So that gives me the opportunity to have faith in the fact that this actually is for the good. And I think that this is a a disposition that we should really try to walk with in terms of that's how I've been handling approaching Corona. I I really don't, I, I don't claim to understand why it's happening. I don't claim to understand the suffering and it's real and it's legitimate and it's horrible. But all we can do despite that is hope that God is actually giving good to his nation. To believe that he's afflicting us and leading us to break in order to find that which is concealed beneath. And just to conclude really quick, there's a Torah from Rabbi Nachman in Brasov, Tzichos Aran Gimel. Rabbi Nachman echoes a very similar point. Rabbi Nachman says, and Rav Nassim says about Rabbi Nachman, Hiflig, this is Sicharan Gimel, the third, the third um, lecture, the third discourse, the third writing in Sicharan. Rabbi Nachman, Hiflig ma'od b'gdulat ha-boreit barach shemo. Rabbi Nachman was constantly enamored by the greatness of God. Meaning to say, Rabbi Nachman understood that he didn't get it. 
to the point that Rabbi Nachman's con- confusion and, and awe and pure reverence of God can't be put into writing. And Rabbi Nachman would say, We can't possibly come to understanding God. We can't place limitations on God. God does things that are noraim, that are pelaot, that are marvelous. And we don't know anything. We can't possibly come to a level of understanding. And Rabbi Nachman says, we understand that we don't understand. We don't, we don't understand. We don't understand God at all. And he says, what's the highest level of knowing? The highest level of knowing, the highest level of knowing is knowing that you don't know. It's saying that even if you arrive at limited understanding, even if you arrive at yidiot, even if you have some conception, to still realize, we don't have the full picture. We can't possibly understand God. He says, this limited understanding isn't full understanding. But the knowledge that's higher than this limited understanding, It's saying that to realize that we don't understand at all. And I think that Rabbi Nachman's emphasizing the same thing. And I think that he's able to say that when we realize in our lives that everything that we're doing or everything that happens to us is for the good, it comes with the caveat of realizing that we don't understand. And it's only because we don't have the full picture, we can believe that everything God does is for the good. Because according to what we have, according to our limited knowledge, things are really bad. What Rabbi Nachman is teaching us and the Rebbe is teaching us is that we don't have the full picture and we don't fully understand. And we have the choice to believe that everything actually is for the good. And living with that heightened perspective, living with the potentiality for seeing things from a different lens is itself olam haba, is the ability to realize a consciousness that you weren't able to realize before. It's the possibility of the baby in the womb seeing the world and being in the world and looking back at the womb, reflecting on the womb from another state, from another vantage point, from the realization that had he had known what he had known then, there's a possibility of realizing that the womb isn't death, rather it's life. So I think, I think this is a very powerful idea for our time period right now, especially with the coronavirus, of realizing that our suffering's real and our suffering's true, but also choosing to believe that the ways we've been afflicted are actually laying the foundations for a new world order that hidden within all of our misery contains the antidote of the venom, that there's tremendous treasures, there's gold waiting in all of the walls that we need to be destroyed. And as we watch the current destruction, we should really try to believe that what's happening is just setting the stage for us to find a tremendous, tremendous amount of bounty spiritually, physically, and to be engaged and entered into a world that we never could have imagined before. So it gives the bracha that it ends soon and we realize our bounty speedily. Amen.